Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 217, recorded September 29th, 2015. So as promised, today we're doing another one of the John Byrne photo comics, uh, his new visions. And we're also doing a Captain's Log, one on Harriman, Captain Harriman of the Enterprise B. Excellent. Excellent. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens to Harriman. Right. Yeah, like I said, I've read a few of the novels. Uh, one was by Peter David, which was really good, called Captain's Daughter, which is, uh, you know, Demora was was a big player in it, but uh, Harriman mm-hmm. was was her captain. So uh, that book was really good. And then there was another one, Serpents. Uh, uh, something to do with Serpents. but And it had to do with the treaty that, that uh, basically the Federation and the Romulans came up with that, you know, basically kept the Romulans, uh, you know, behind the Iron Curtain for, you know, 60 years, whatever it is, between Kirk's time and Picard's time. Right. So uh, that, too, was good. And it got to see Harriman do more than just, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Like he was in the movie. Well, unfortunately, in Generations, he played very well exactly what he was supposed to play, which is just kind of a lackluster captain that Kirk could like just totally run rings around. Right. And you so. got a actor, you know, best known for Spin City and Fairless Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Playing the captain who's, you know, he's a comedic actor. Yes. So I thought that was an odd choice. Yeah, but he was total second fiddle to Ferris in that movie. So he's shown he can do well with a jughead kind of a second fiddle role. Yeah, right. So, and he did <laughs> a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> almost too, almost too good a job. I mean, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before on, on air, but I definitely mentioned it to you off air. Uh, he just seems like too much of a schlep to have ascended to the captaincy. Right. So, but well, a little bit of that's addressed here in this book. So, uh, or at least why he might have been acting like that. Right. Which we can get into uh, after we uh, get a little synopsis as to what happened. Cool. Uh, which I'll be doing. And, of course, also looking forward to the new visions. So after our little intro to it in the previous episode, I liked it. I dug it. And Byrne has uh, number one of the official series. What is it? Every two months? Yeah. They produce right. them? Yep. Cool. So. Yeah, I, I'm loving it. I, I really loved the first one, mm-hmm. um, and I really loved this one. I, I it, it, it is almost like watching a lost episode. <laughs> it is, and I love that idea, too. Like you just mentioned, a lost episode, because it's all the actors. You know, sure, there's no movement, and they're not talking to you, right. but, you know, it's all the all the visions, all the video part of it, all, all the images, I should say, and it's uh, just... Put it together so well, so cleverly. Very impressed. Anyway, 
Uh, let's take care of Harriman, though. Because yeah, we, get to, we get to find out what happened to Harriman after uh, his uh, less-than-perfect performance dealing with that ribbon. Yep, let's do it. Okay, so this is Captain's Log Harriman, published date April 2010. Creative team includes writer Mark Guggenheim, art by Andrew Curie, colors by Moose Bauman, letterer Neil Yataki, editor Scott Dunbuyer. The main cover is by David Messina and Giovanni Nero. It features Captain Harriman's head and upper torso looking at something with a neutral but intelligent look on his face. Behind him and above him and with a much bigger head is Captain Kirk with a similar look on his face, although perhaps a bit constipated. I don't know. He looks very uptight, but very impressive. Behind them both is the Enterprise A. And I thought it was kind of odd that it was the Enterprise A as opposed to Harriman's Enterprise B, but whatever. It must be more aligned with the great Captain Kirk than with uh, Harriman. The real tale instead of photo cover shows a photo from generations of Harriman seated at the con of Enterprise B. The book opens with a thrill-packed sequence from the movie Generations, where Captain Kirk saves Captain Harriman's Enterprise B by rigging up a resonance burst that disrupted that strange ribbon that was holding the ship fast. The ship was hit by the ribbon near the deflector control access area where Kirk was located. No sign of Kirk remained, and he was presumed dead. Six months later, Dr. Leonard McCoy is on a platform in the Enterprise B deflector control room that overlooks the spot where he believes Kirk lost his life. He thinks back to a camping trip in Yosemite where Kirk said he would die alone. McCoy thinks how he was right about that too. He says goodbye to his friend. McCoy leaves the solemn location and makes his way back to the bridge with the help of an ensign. McCoy has been conscripted back into Starfleet to deal with an outbreak of Torellian virus. If he lives to be 137, he will never understand why he's the only one qualified for this kind of task. On the bridge, McCoy meets Captain Harriman. Harriman asks McCoy how he enjoyed his tour of the ship. McCoy says he spent most of his time in the deflector control room. Not sure exactly what to say, given McCoy's long friendship with Kirk, Harriman turns to business and offers to have his chief medical officer brief him on the sick bay facilities. McCoy is perturbed that Harriman would think he would not have already stopped into the sick bay when so many lives are at stake. McCoy heads to the turbo lift, openly annoyed, and Harriman follows him. Harriman tries to make amends, but alone in the turbo lift, McCoy vents his frustration and loss at Harriman by blaming him for Jim's death. McCoy says he saw the video of the incident, and Harriman was not in command of the ship during the crisis. Jim was. Harriman tries to apologize to McCoy for the loss of his friend. Harriman says McCoy is not alone in blaming him for killing a living monument. Harriman is quite aware of all the eyes that say all that needs saying. After this mission to the Antares system, Harriman says he will be resigning his Starfleet commission. McCoy walks away from the visibly beaten Harriman and says, In this life, you gotta do what you think is best. Meanwhile, in orbit around Antares, 
a Klingon battlecruiser named Vengeance is captained by a Klingon general named Charoth, who is not a Kirk fan and not a Federation fan. He was instrumental in causing the plague outbreak that he knew would draw a Starfleet ship to Antares. Despite the Klingon Empire and Federation recently signing the Kittimer Accords, Charoth has an axe to grind, and he wants to do it before this peace stuff goes too far. Later, back on the Enterprise B, McCoy shows up at Harriman's quarters, wanting to apologize for his behavior and to give Harriman a pep talk. Class is in session, as Dr. McCoy gives Harriman a lesson in how to be a captain. He tells Harriman that a captain is a leader who must lead even when he has no idea what to do. His crew can't lose faith, or the battle is over before it begins. To illustrate his point, McCoy recounts how Captain Kirk turned the tables on a nasty Klingon that looked and spoke strangely like Reverend Jim from Taxi. His ship dead in space. Kirk attempted to bluff to get the Klingon captain to back down. It did not work. The Klingon called his bluff. No time for repairs, his only son murdered by that Klingon bastard. No apparent way to avoid utter defeat. Kirk stalled by claiming surrender, then transported his skeleton crew to the nearby planetary surface and blew up the Enterprise with most of the Klingons on it. The story told, McCoy summarizes the lesson. When you are on that bridge, you are not John Harriman. You are Captain Harriman. Captains are never afraid, and they always know what to do. Or they pretend they do. Captain Harriman thanks McCoy, and just in time, because the captain is called to the bridge. A Klingon battlecruiser is on an intercept course with them at high speed. Harriman goes by Chapter 9 of the Kittimer Accords and says do not raise shields and only bring the ship to yellow alert. Unfortunately, the Klingons aren't playing by the rules today and open fire after accusing Harriman of breaking Article 6 of the Kittimer Accords. They try to get the shields up, but find they are unresponsive. The Klingons were actually able to target their shield emitters before they could raise them. Demora asks if that is even possible. They try to take evasive action. They try to fire all they've got. But even their weapon systems have been pummeled by the Klingons' relentless pinpoint attacks. Main power fails. Harriman calls engineering to get emergency power now. Engineering says the best they can do is a few minutes. Harriman freaks out briefly, screaming, They don't have a few minutes! Captain Harriman regains his composure and asks for hailing frequencies. Against his crew's objections, Harriman surrenders. The Klingon general tells him to prepare to be boarded. Captain Harriman asks for a few minutes to address his crew. The Klingon general gives him one. Harriman uses that minute to give the order to set all photon torpedoes in the ship's doors to detonate in 30 seconds. A worried McCoy asks Captain Harriman what he is doing. Harriman says what Jim Kirk would do. Harriman gives his transporter chief very specific orders. The Klingon general says, time's up. Harriman says, very well. Engage transporters. The Klingon boarding party arrives on the Enterprise transporter pad. 
the torpedoes arrive on the Klingon ship. And it goes boom. A security team has their weapons out and takes the Klingon boarding party into custody, apparently without firing a shot. Without reinforcements to back them up, the fight seems to have left the Klingons. McCoy congratulates the captain on a job well done. Harriman thanks the doctor for his timely lesson. McCoy says he watched Harriman when he did it. Harriman reminded him of someone, an absent friend. The end. And that absent friend is a certain gold-shirted young Shatner? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's not old Shatner in the red uniform. It is a young Shatner in his prime. Nice. So the yes. cover has a ghostly image of Kirk on the cover. Yep. And then the back, the last panel, is another ghostly image, but this is a younger Kirk. Right. Yep. And Harriman has a uh, has a good look on his face. He's He's got a quiet confidence there, you know. It's 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 not a it's not a toothy grin at all, but you can tell he's the eyes are a little bit uh, smile mode, right? Without well, being you know a jerk, he saved the day and he's now going to uh, and he's built up his confidence so that he doesn't have to uh, quit uh, retire exactly Requ- retire early. Of course, it does kind of occur to me that <laughs> you got the Kittermer records. Things are a little sketchy between the Klingons and the uh, Federation. And you just blew up one of their ships. Well, they were boarding them. Well, yes. There could be two stories told. And what proof do they have? Well, so the fortunately, Klingons... fortunately they, the Enterprise is still in one piece, so they have all the recordings of their conversation. Uh, which could have been faked. I mean, come on. Sensor <laughs> readings can be faked easily. Oh my goodness, Ken. No, I'm very serious. Okay, how about when John Chuck, the actor, was in front of uh, the Federation or whatever during, uh, what was it, uh, was it Star Trek V? Uh, making the case against the uh, terrorist, Captain James Kirk. He didn't have proof. It was the same kind of thing. Kirk turned the tables on them, yet the Klingons made it sound like Kirk was the aggressor. When it was the Klingons that were the aggressor the whole time. And they right. didn't listen to recordings or sensor readings or logs or anything like that. Anyway, so I'm just saying, at the end of this, he's all feeling good at everything. Harriman feels pretty good. But he basically blew up a Klingon ship. <laughs> and right. a bunch of people. Why not? I think he beamed everybody over. He didn't beam. He didn't beam everybody. Wait, wait okay. That's a D7 cruiser. That's not a little bird of prey like they use in uh, Star Trek uh, 4, right? Or no, Star Trek 5, uh, 3. Right. That was a small one. No, this so is a big one. this one's a full-size cruiser, battle cruiser. That's part of the reason they were able to take on the Excelsior, which is supposed to be a pretty strong ship, you know, advanced ship. But, right. of course, this is, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be no pushover. It's supposed to be a pretty powerful ship. Right. Anyway. So, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. It's lovely. Love it. Just, I just started thinking too much about what happens next. So, Well, for whatever reason, I was thinking that he, he got them to beam everybody over. But well, there's nothing in here that, that states that. No. 
And if you see the Klingons that are on the transporter pad, and they only show one transporter pad. Maybe there's right. more than one. I don't know. But there's only like, like 12 Klingons or something. Right. So are you really going to transport 12 Klingons over to a ship that has, what, uh, 600 people? Uh, I'm not sure. Was it 450 people or so that were in the original Enterprise? Right. And so this is a bigger ship, so they probably have at least five or 600 people, right? Right. So Yeah, good point. Good point. Know. Just don't I – just, I just found myself thinking too much about – But he still tricked them. That's, he did. That's he tricked the important him. point. He tricked, he tricked him. him. He tricked him real good. Now, did he have to <laughs> to beam over every photon torpedo in the ship stores? Probably overkill. Probably two would have done the job. Even one probably would have done the job. I mean, think about it. You're, you're taking an explosive device, you're putting it in a ship, and then it's exploding. All that explosive force has to go somewhere. So, eh, whatever. Right, and as we've seen, it only takes like one proton torpedo to destroy like the whole Death Star. <laughs> Good point. Could have just beamed one of those next to the power core and boom. Okay. Are those proton torpedoes? Is, is that what those were? Uh, yeah, they were proton torpedoes. Cool. And these are photon torpedoes. Exactly. There you go. Actually, Don't quite, get them confused. Well, you know, proton sounds a little bit more like it could be a real thing. I mean, <laughs> photon torpedo? It's light? A light torpedo? What does that make? What? Anyway. <laughs> now, quantum torpedoes. That sounds like it could really do some damage. Right. Yeah. And you should be jumping through time, right? Quantum leaps. Oh, okay. But that, okay. Am I taking a quantum leap off subject? <laughs> a little, a little. Anyway, so the story, I really enjoyed it. I I liked it. Um, I thought maybe they spent a little too much time recapping Star Trek 3 and Star Trek uh, Generations, but um, but overall, I really enjoyed enjoyed the whole story. Yeah, me too. And I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love the comments about um, McCoy thinking Kirk told us in Star Trek V that he would die alone or he um, or we wouldn't be there when he died. Right. I love that. It, the first time I read that in uh, the novelization of Star Trek Generations, I thought it was just a great comment, you know, that, that neither one of them was there and he's dead. So yeah. he, he, he was – he prophesized this in Star Trek V. That's right. So I'm glad that they brought it back for this this comic. Yep. Very good. And, and that idea lives on in the reboot. So I like that too. So wasn't uh, it... Uh, so in one of the ongoing story arcs, there was one Deep Space Nine crossover, right? Mm-hmm. And then Kirk takes them into certain death. One ship against... All these super beings and stuff. Right. But he did it because as long as he had his crew backing him up, they were all going to be okay. So I think it, kind of a similar idea. You know? Yeah. That that line actually might be the best best part of Star Trek V. Yeah. Well, quite frankly, there was a lot of bad parts of Star Trek V, so uh, <laughs> there wasn't a huge amount of competition. <laughs> So I liked seeing older McCoy. I thought the artwork was good to to make DeForest Kelly look a little older than than we'd seen him before. Right, just not as incredibly old as we see him in Next Gen. Right, but then they set up 
they set up a few beats here. <laughs> he's like, they're going to probably keep me here until I'm, you know, 130 years old. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah which yeah. I thought was hilarious. Yeah. You didn't it, like that? It, oh, I love that. That's great. Oh, okay. Especially like, yeah. So he's in that one part. If I live to be 137, and I sincerely doubt that, I'll never understand why I'm the only one that can do a, a mission like this. Right. So that's great. He was, he was, he had a lot of crotchety stuff to say. Yes. Like when he, like when he's on the bridge and he comments, don't the engineers know any other way how to build things? I'm, you know, like saying, oh yeah, I'm very familiar with it because it's all the same stuff, you know. Right, but but what was great is that he was totally lying because he already had some exactly. ensign walking to the bridge. <laughs> exactly, because he got like, lost. Did you have any problem finding it? Oh, of course I knew. <laughs> I loved it. I thought that was great. Yeah, that is great. Very, very good. I love how we have a Klingon ship called Vengeance. Oh, yeah, that's right. Into Darkness. Exactly. So, I don't know whether it's total... Coincidence? Coincidence, but I'm just saying it was done first here, and this came before the reboot movie. But whatever. Um, I liked how how human Harriman was. You know how usually, I mean, every once in a while you'll get a moment of weakness from Kirk, but in general, Kirk's on his game, and uh, he's almost inhuman how often he figures out just the right thing at the right time. Uh, and Harriman is not that, or not as much that anyway. And and even his crew, if you take a look at his crew, they're not perfection. They're not everybody young and perfect. Um, there's an older-looking guy at the communications station. Right. You know, he's bald on top, and he's got hair, you know, around the sides, a little bit like Picard, but he looks a little bit more, more scruffy and gray. Right. So I thought that was great. And then uh, Mr. Maru, who, what is he, the uh, helmsman or something next to Demora? The red-headed guy? Uh, yeah, right. Red-headed right. guy. Yeah. So he looks like he's probably in his early 40s or something like that, you know. Um, you know, he's not Mr. Perfect or Mr. Pretty or anything. I like that. Right. Um, anyway, I thought that was great. And, and of course, all of them, I thought the artwork was quite good because they really – I think they really look like, like they're the actors that played them in uh, Generations. Yeah, indeed. Especially Harriman. I mean, because – because like I said, he, that actor's been in tons of other stuff, so right. we've seen him emote all these emotions. So it, even if he didn't do them in the movie, uh, they had references, and uh, they nailed it to me. Yeah. Uh, there was a few parts that were maybe a little cartoony, but still it worked for me that uh, that I, I liked it. Yeah. What is that actor's name? It's been bothering me. Oh, oh! You would ask me that, wouldn't you? Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head. That's easy to look up, but uh, I don't know off the top of my head, my friend. That's all right. We don't need to know. Um, yeah. So, so I did notice that John Harriman is very close to John Harrison, which is Khan's fake name in Into Darkness. Oh, good point. So I'll just – there's probably no meaning behind that. I just – it just occurred to me. So just thought I'd mention it. Yeah. I'm sure that's just another coincidence. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that having two security guys to detain at least 10 Klingons in custody is seems like uh, an optimistic thing. 
especially when they were a boarding party that was probably expecting trouble when they got onto the Enterprise B. So I'm just saying, when I saw that particular panel that showed that, I was like, hmm, that's you a just, little they hard to believe. Didn't beam over the weapons. Ah, uh, ah, <laughs> uh, 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 really? Yeah, while beaming over the tra- the torpedoes. They intercepted the the transporter beam and took out the weapons. And, and deactivated all the weapons. Isn't that something that Next Gen can do? Yeah. Yeah. Why not here? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that was where it started. And, and why did they go to the transporter pad? I mean, those Klingons could have beamed into multiple parts of the ship. Um, I, I think mainly because anyway. that's what happened in Star Trek Three. They wanted to do the same... Same kind of thing. ...gimmick where... One thing disappears, and the other, the Klingons appear right when, right when a ship blows up, right whether it's the Enterprise or their own ship. There you go. Okay. What else you got for this one? Really, that's about it. Yeah, I, I think again they could have done with a lot fewer torpedoes beaming over, but you know maybe Harriman just didn't want to overthink it. Right. Let's be sure we don't want to. <laughs> We don't want to underdo this and be unhappy. So send everything. Go ahead. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, let's just hope there's not a second Klingon ship that's cloaked right next to it. <laughs> exactly. Well, at least, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It was a good solution. Everything as it should be. Okay. All right. Anything else? Nada. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and move forward in uh, publishing time. Quite a few years, maybe not quite a few, but several, to uh, Star Trek New Visions number one. Uh, This came out May of 2014. The photo montage was by John Byrne, created by Gene Roddenberry, edited by Chris Rael. And it's based on the episode Mirror Mirror, written by Jeremy Bixby. And this is a fairly long story, so uh, bear with me. It's a little longer than some of the other synopsis that I get to do. So the cover is an interesting cover. It's a uh, collage of photos of both the evil and the prime universe versions of all of the main Enterprise crew. Uh, The image is made to look like it's a shattered mirror with each sliver of the mirror being from one of the two universes, so that each character is a mixture of both the prime and the evil versions. So the story takes place just mere weeks after the episode Mirror Mirror. The uh, transporter is giving Scotty and Kyle a little tough time. Spock arrives and he suggests that the two take their gremlin hunt elsewhere. Once the transporter room is empty, the controls take a life of their own, and Kirk appears on the transporter pad with an evil grin, saying, It worked. Kyle then arrives and confronts the mysterious Kirk. New Kirk is somewhat aloof and departs quickly, bumping into McCoy on the way out. McCoy asks New Kirk about Spock acting weird lately. Kirk then acts weird himself and leaves the puzzled doctor. Later, Scotty arrives on the bridge and asks Kirk if he got what he needed there in the transporter room. Kirk tells him that he hasn't left the bridge in quite a while and he never went to the transporter room. Kirk orders a scan of the ship and finds out that there's two extra people on board that should not be there. 
He also learns that Spock is asleep in his quarters and has not been answering their hails. He arrives at the Vulcan's room and finds that there's actually two Spocks, one asleep and one holding a phaser on him. Elsewhere, Evil Kirk is doing evil things in the auxiliary control room. Shows him knocking out a woman who happened to be working there. Back in Spock's room, Fake Spock tells the tale of what happened in the Mirror Universe after Kirk's visit. Now we're in flashback mode. So Mirror Spock started his plans to bring about change. He gets the crew that traveled to the Prime Universe to renounce Kirk's crazy claim that they visited a parallel world. This makes Mirror Kirk seem crazy, which Starfleet Brass does not like, and they strip him of his rank. Kirk storms off the bridge and is able to use the Tantalus field to kill Ahura before Spock and Marlena can arrest him. Spock is given command of the ship, and Spock is able to stall doing anything evil while he starts to set up his plans. Sulu is ordered to torture Kirk to get the truth out of him. Kirk only tells him about the Mirror Universe, so the torture continues. Scotty confronts Spock about the unneeded torture. Spock says it is indeed needed. Scotty, unpleased with Spock, transfers to another ship and is somehow able to break Kirk free. Together, the two of them devise a way to teleport to the Prime Universe. Spock learns of this and he transports himself to the Prime Universe in order to try to stop them. He shaves his beard off and he takes the Prime Spock's place until now. Later, we learn that Mirror Kirk has beamed over to a cloaked Klingon ship. There he meets with Kor. Kirk is giving the Klingons cloaking technology that the Romulans from the Mirror Universe use in exchange for the destruction of Prime Kirk and the Enterprise. Back on the Enterprise, Mirror Spock has regrown his beard thanks to some magic meddling by McCoy. They are all discussing the situation when they are attacked by a cloaked bird of prey. Being matched move for move, Kirk is unable to escape the cloaked ship and takes quite a bit of damage. Mirror Kirk contacts him to gloat. As they talk, Kirk silently signals Sulu to plot a course and warp out of there. With the Enterprise weakened, it is only able to travel a short distance before it must stop. While the Enterprise is making repairs, the cloaked Klingon ship slowly creeps closer to the Enterprise when suddenly the Enterprise fires at it. Mirror Spock was able to track the cloaked ship. Mirror Kirk is able to adjust his plans so that Spock can no longer guess where they are at. Prime Spock then suggests that the Enterprise extends its shields to encompass the cloaked ship that they know is out there. Once they do this, the ship becomes visible, and the Enterprise fires at it at point-blank range. Severely damaged, Prime Kirk orders all the Klingon crew from the Klingon ship to be beamed into the Enterprise's brigs. Only Kor and Mirror Kirk are able to stay on board. The Enterprise is unable to beam the duo off the ship, but they can beam people onto the ship. So Kirk and Mirror Spock beam over to confront the two men. Kor turns on Mirror Kirk, and Mirror Kirk escapes to the transporter room and beams over to the other universe. The three remaining men are able to beam back to the Enterprise just as the Klingon ship explodes. Later, Kirk returns Kor and all the other Klingons 
to a fleet of Klingon ships since the Organian Peace Treaty does not allow prisoners of war. Mirror Spock then returns to his own dimension. Upon his arrival to the Mirror Enterprise, he is questioned about the location of their Kirk. Spock says that Kirk has escaped, but he might not like where he has gone. So we see Mirror Kirk walking down the corridors of an Enterprise, but the crew all seemed surprised to see him, saying that they saw him die. He arrives at the bridge to find Ahura in a gold uniform sitting in the command chair. With a mirthful look, she tells the other female crew members that today is her lucky day. How often is someone presented a chance to see their old lover skinned alive for the second time? The end. Oh, how delicious. Not only is Ohura the captain, the Ohura that Kirk very badly destroyed in his own dimension. Mm Mm-hmm. Not only is she the captain, but she's going to skin him alive. And I wonder if she was figurative about that or not. I don't know. I mean, the crew did all seem surprised to see him and said that they themselves witnessed his death. So I she might have been serious. I took it as literal. Yeah, I did too. So another evil dimension. Did you notice that it's HMS Enterprise? HMS Enterprise. Yeah, I was going to mention that. So is that supposed you know, her... Her Majesty's Service? Is that what HMS is? Uh, right, I think so. Are they saying that's a continuation of the English tradition? So the the Brits are the ones that went into space? I don't know. Maybe. And maybe, uh, you know, Starfleet Headquarters is in London instead of San Francisco. <laughs> in this universe. Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering what HMS really stands for. Or we're just assuming that it was related to the British fleet. Uh, right. designation. It might not have that anything to do with that at all. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Or maybe it was just like, Byrne was just like, you know, I, I just love the idea of the HMS Enterprise. Let's just put it on there. Right. Well, I mean, I think they were just it was a way to show that this is not an Enterprise we know. It's not the USS Enterprise. It's not the ISS Enterprise. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the HMS Enterprise. Okay. Okay, so, got that. I don't you know. Could have just put, another you could have acronym. put almost any acronym there, <laughs> and that would have get told you that. They should have put IDW Enterprise. That would have been that's perfect nod to the publisher. That is perfect. <laughs> I don't think Bird would do that. Talk about product placement. But anyways, I, I love the story. I thought it was great, but I do have one major problem with it. Really? Can I, can Go right ahead. Please do. I know that this is supposed to be a quote unquote lost episode. But it is written in 2014. We've seen enough Mirror Universe storylines, both in Enterprise and in Deep Space Nine, to know kind of what happened after the events of Mirror Mirror and before the timeline of Deep Space Nine. And this story cancels out a lot of what they talked about in Deep Space Nine, what was going on in that Mirror Universe. Sure, but I don't think I don't think Byrne really... I think Byrne made a conscious decision that he's not going with anybody else's continuity. <laughs> other, than, was, other than the first episode. And if this was written in the 1960s uh, or 70s or 80s, I, I would be okay with that. But because it did come out after canonical stories have said something else happened, then, then that's when I have, a, I have a problem with it. You can contradict something, or you, you could tell a story that later gets contradicted in a comic book medium, but you 
shouldn't write a story that contradicts something that has already been published and is considered canon. Okay, well, how about this? How about both of the dimensions in this story are not our dimension and not the Mirror Universe dimension that we saw in the original Mirror Mirror episode? This is two totally different dimensions, close to ours, close to the respective ones, but not the respective ones. Because there's an infinite number of dimensions, and anything could happen in any of those dimensions. Now you're just being silly. No, I'm not being silly. And then we got a third dimension here, the uh, the Ahura as captain dimension. Right. Which is kind of cool, because that's kind of the way uh, that uh, Mirror Darkly two-parter on Enterprise ended with uh, uh, Sato kind of taking over the Enterprise. You know, it's not the same, but it kind of ends on the same note. You know, that was like the last right. Yes, the, the female takes the over. Where, yeah, right, right. And yeah. and considering how uh, such a, a nice, often kind of on the timid side character Sato is, I thought that was great. She because she was so evil. Right. Uh, her her alter alternative self. Thought that was great. But yeah, that's my that's my only beef with this story. I mean, the story is very entertaining. And, it is, uh, and, and he's made some really good uh, decisions. I mean, I love the fact that he, that Byrne uses Admiral Mendez from Menagerie as Kirk's superior officer. I thought that was great in the Mirror Universe. Yeah, right, right. Um, I like how Zen Core is. I mean, Core is like. Hey, you know, I'm just living life, and I'm I got my plans going. But if they don't end up happening today, they'll happen in the future. That's okay. He's just very <laughs> mellow. He's just going with the flow, and I think that's very uh, that's very cool. Right, Core is a very clever Klingon. He's not. He gets emotional, but he's usually a cool cool cucumber. And he had a lot of stuff going on in here, and he was just kind of. Going with the flow. Right. Yeah, he, he's not the over-the-top uh, Reverend Jim Klingon that will <laughs> kind of get as the template for future Klingons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you Cor- have noticed Cor- Cor- Cor's a smarty since, one. Since Star Trek III, every Klingon that we've ever met has acted a lot more like Reverend Jim than Core. Uh, yeah, a little more over-the-top. Right. But Christopher Plummer... In Star Trek Six, I forgot which Klingon his name was, but his name was Kang, Chang, Kang, Kang? Chang. Was I that think it? Chang, yeah, Chang. Okay, C H. Now he got a little emotional towards the end, but he was very uh, intellectual. I thought in right. a lot of that that movie. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, when he was like spinning around saying "Let loose the dogs of war," it was like, oh, oh, oh okay, fine. He was getting a little emotional there. But other than that, I thought he was kind of intelligent. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Many of them are very over-the-top, violent, going with the warrior's feelings. Right. And loud. And loud. Likes to scream. Yes. So in this story, don't you think it was a pretty big miss that they let Mirror Kirk walk off the bridge at all after he got stripped of his rank? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't understand why they didn't just stop him in the turbo lift, you know. Exactly. 
reroute the turbo lift to the brig instead of <laughs> his quarters. Well, leave him out. Leave him out there. Standard. Yeah. And he's obviously a dangerous individual. So there's no way they should have done that. Right. And didn't some some of these superiors like like suspect that he's got some kind of uh, thing going on where people are disappearing all over the place? I mean, obviously Spock and the rest of the crew, some of them knew what was going on exactly, but um, right. no. other people's other people would have seen it at some point. Yeah. I think you definitely want to kill him right away. But what fun would that be? Yeah, I don't know why. I, I hate to say that, but I don't understand why Spock didn't kill him when he could have. Yeah. Instead of just the prolonged torture and then eventual escape. Right. Well. And what I want to know about the escape, the escape at the end. He transports off and then alternate Spock is there at the controls. And make sure he goes someplace where he won't be very happy. It's like, that's all cool, and I love what it's set up, but really, how did alternate Spock have the time to know what dimension to send him to? I mean, let's just assume that he had the ability to do it in the first place, to pick and choose dimensions. And I guess you would have to do that, because uh, Kirk was, and he was, beamed into, quote, the correct prime dimension, right? But still, so let's assume that they can do that. Did Spock do a little, like, homework before he came across? Like, oh, that's an interesting dimension. Oh, a matriarchal uh, power structure. Oh, okay. Kind of like ours, but, you know, men and women being reversed. Okay. And then you you just kind of look around and stuff. And then he comes back later and says, oh, let's put him back there with Ahura. And then, you know, it's like, I love what happened, right. but it's like, how, how did, how did alternate Spock know to do that? Right. No, I, I'm with you. And how did he know? I understand that he knew that Scotty was working on some sort of transporter technology, and then he was able to just take that much information and recreate it. And then, yeah, I guess he was able to beam to all those other universes before he found the right one, maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe. That might have taken them some time, but... Right, and that's another thing that was a little confusing. They did say it's only been a couple of weeks since since the events of Mirror Mirror. A lot has happened in that Mirror Universe in those couple of weeks. A mm-hmm. lot of technological advances with, you know, creating these transporters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without having two ships, or three ships... Whatever the number was. Right, or the Excelsior. Or the Excelsior. The, the Super Excelsior. The Super Excelsior that can do anything you need it to do. <laughs> just, just tell me anything you want the story to, to, to have it do. Okay, it'll do it. It's, it's doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is so good. It knew what you wanted ahead of time. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway. Oh. And I loved uh, Spock's beard disappearing at the beginning so that he could blend in and then them putting it back on so that they can easily keep the two separate. Yes. Thank you. I'm very happy they did that. Yeah. I love Cause it. otherwise it'd been hard to keep, to keep them straight. Like McCoy says, and he's right, but I'm kind of wondering what exactly was Spock using to shave his beard. It was that like a, a stick of double mint gum. <laughs> No, it was a little uh, hair um, remover. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Byrne has to show uh, Spock shaving. 
So okay. So he's gonna do his little his little image manipulation thing and kind of show part of the beard going and whatever. But then he goes ahead and photoshops in some kind of a silvery, small, metallic-looking maybe object that he was, like, shaving with. But he couldn't make it look like a modern-day, you know, shaving utensil. Mm-hmm. It has to be advanced. And in the end, I think what he ended up with is something that looked like a piece of chewing gum with the uh, foil still on. Let me look at it again. Yeah. And as we know, if this was the actual TV show, that thing would be gigantic and bulky. <laughs> it's 60s Space after age. all. Yeah, exactly. It's the 60s. But I thought he did a good job, you know, photoshopping, you know, obviously a clean-shaven Spock and then putting half a beard on him without it looking too fake. Right. Well, that's the thing. He's able to to do a lot of manipulation in these pictures, and most of it does not look fake. Most of it's quite good. There's a few bad spots. There are yeah. a few bad spots. I'm looking at one right now. Is it when uh, Evil Kirk knocks out um, the woman on the auxiliary bridge? No, but that probably had problems too. There's yeah. uh, This is like towards the end just before her uh, does the uh, – talks about the skinning thing. And Kirk is facing – Evil Kirk is facing two other crewmen. One has a gold – uh, right. tunic on uh, but if you look at at the gold part it looks like the original picture they took it from he might have just had like a black t-shirt around or something and yeah, the and way they, just, they yeah 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 the way they got it colored in to be a gold tunic is almost laughable if you look closely right it looks like someone just using microsoft paint yeah like drew on some kind of a uh, barney rubble shirt or something onto the guy yeah yeah, it looks a little off. Yeah. But in general, great job. Mr. Oh, Burn. yeah, absolutely. Mr. Ben. You know, and now that, that I'm looking at that, that panel or those few panels of the HMS Enterprise mm-hmm. universe. Right. There are little subtle differences in all their uniforms yep. that, I mean, like like the braid on. I love that. Is, is on, the, on the cuff. Yeah. Is different than the braid on the uh, real Enterprise's cuffs. Yeah. And let me – may I venture a theory on that? Okay. Because if you take a look at the braid, it almost looks like chains and interlinking Ch- right. chains. And it's around a guy's wrist. So it's almost like he's trying to say the guys are the subservient ones here. And to such a degree that, they, that their braid is, um, is chains. Interesting. That's that's my theory, and I'm sticking with it. The women, you don't, you can't really see them very well. I mean, I, I don't see braid on. Uh, I'm looking at the second to last panel, right? And I don't see any braid on these ladies, but hmm. you can tell Ahura has something on her cuff, but it looks like it's just the the golden band. Sure, sure. But it's it's too small to actually right. see anything. Looks cool, and I really like how all the uh, all the ladies are going. Mama man, is that what the well-dressed slave is wearing this season? <laughs> if it is, I like. <laughs> and Ahura is saying, stand down, ladies. All right. So, yeah, there they actually are redre- uh, referred to as slaves. Right. Right. So. <laughs> Fascinating. You're hot stuff there, Kirky. 
You're going to look good getting skinned alive again. Skinned alive. Yeah. And uh, let's see, is there anything else? Um, yeah, no, I think I've uh, I've made my comments. So you've seen Mirror Mirror uh, a lot more often than I have. So remind me, Chekhov want, wanted to overthrow Kirk, right? And he and he was in this pain box for a yep. while. That pain booth or something like that. That Sulu was administering to him. Yeah, like the pain booth or whatever they called it. Okay, but he didn't die or anything in the in that episode. No, it Chekhov. was. Yeah, I, I suppose you could have died, but. No, it was it was some it was just a booth to inflict pain. Yeah. Right. Okay. All right, I couldn't remember and then when he was on the bridge and when Evil Chekhov was there, I was trying to remember if if he actually died in that episode or not. Okay. Cool. Um I don't have anything else, do you? Actually, I think I do have one last thing. I thought I was done though. Oh. Okay, so when Kirk first got off of the, the Enterprise, and got onto Kor's ship. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What? What? What happened? I mean, transporters can't go that far. He transported all the way to a Klingon ship. It was like I was like, oh, I was. Just, I'm calling BS on this one. And then you come to find out the explanation is Kor's ship was like cloaked right next to the Enterprise. So, okay, so I guess that makes sense. But wait a minute. I mean, there. You know, usually Kirk and company are pretty good at like like spotting the cloaked ship somehow. A telltale residual sign, or looking at the tailpipe, or whatever. <laughs> um, but boy, they were totally—they were out to lunch. They had no idea that a Klingon ship was right next to them. I, that's kind of scary. Because this is from an alternate universe's cloaking device. Oh, okay. Okay. So, how much communication stuff. did Co- Mirror Kirk and Core have while they were in opposite dimensions? That. That's an interesting question. So not only did Kirk find the right dimension with Scotty's help, but he was able to somehow get in contact with a Klingon. How easy is that? Right, and give him all these plans so that they can then build the cloaking device and come and get him when he comes over. Right. Yeah, I I had a few questions about that. So he must have been in a ship, right? I mean, you come over from the other side, and somehow you're in a ship, right? Because you got to get a hold of a Klingon. You don't know where he is. I mean, I don't know. How does he physically get to into Klingon space or whatever to be able to? Oh, here's a nice Klingon ship. Maybe I can just thumb a ride and and make friends with the captain and bribe him with technology, right? Which I don't think is what happened. I think he somehow communicated so that. Core was ready for him when he got there. Well, again, even more so if you can't actually see somebody. So, I mean, how did Kirk know he was somebody he could trust? He's a Klingon. I don't know. But whatever. Yeah, that, I mean, the main thing sense. is it happened. <laughs> Let's move on. But love the yes, story. It happened and move on. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. All right. Uh, in regards to, um, you know, when you're reading it, you're coming up with your own plot lines and things. Sure. I, I really thought that uh, Evil Spock was, was in on it. Uh, I didn't think that he was going to be the, the good Spock, uh, you know, really trying to change anything. Because right. 
it seemed it just seemed really coincidental that Mirror Spot comes in there into the transporter room and gets everybody out of the transformer transporter room, you know, seconds before Kirk shows up. Right. Just seemed a little too coincidental that uh that uh Mirror Spock would be pretending to be Spock and then tell him to go look somewhere else for their gremlins. <laughs> so I kept waiting for that shoe to drop that you know, uh, Spock really is in league with Kirk, mm. but it never did. Well, he's just the good guy. The thought crossed my mind at one point, but I didn't dwell on it too much. Fair enough. All right. That's my last comment. Cool. So two good issues. Do enjoy it. Right. I'm looking forward to doing these, uh, photo novels more often. Right. I really enjoyed these last two. Right. Good. But it'll be a while. Uh, we'll have to work it into the rotation. Exactly. So, next episode. Next episode, I think we should go back to uh, DC Comics, find out what's going on there after their big Mirror Universe miniseries. And that'll be uh, issues 18, 19, and 20. Cool. And then uh, eventually we'll have to do the rest of these Captain's Logs. There's one yeah, so for Jellico. Jellico? Yeah, the Jellico one. Right. Uh, isn't that one of the few ones left we haven't done? Uh, might be. And it's the one that I never read. I, even when it came out, I bought it but never read it just because I didn't like that character in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> he was a jerk. He was designed to be a jerk. Right. And Ronnie Cox does a really good job at that. So. Right. Well, And there was supposed to be a fifth issue – uh, with for Rachel Garrett, which is oh. she's the captain of the Enterprise. C. Sure, that'd be good. And I was really looking forward to that. You know, when they announced that it was going to be a five part, you know, series. Mm-hmm. But then, when it actually started coming out, it was suddenly a four part, and and her issue was cut out, and Jellico's issue stayed. So it better be darn good. <laughs> exactly, and that could have been like more groundbreaking too. Let's see a female captain. A little bit more of that. Exactly. So, so far we got Janeway and that's it. Yeah. So. Whoa, well, what about uh, Jane Kirk? Is it Jane? Yeah, Jane Kirk. What's that crossover one? Where... Yeah, her name was Jane. Okay, good. It was Jane. Okay. So, so that was with the Chris Pine, Captain Kirk, and they did a mirror universe kind of thing, and they end up going into one where they're all switch genders, right? Right. So. It wasn't... Um... Yeah, and even the Spock and the Uhura of that universe were also dating. They were still dating, yes. That was funny. <laughs> right. So so we've, we've seen some female captains, just not many. Right. But this is a canonical female captain that we've seen once. Yeah, right. And uh, we definitely should see more of that. Yeah, we need to see that Enterprise C because it's the best, best of the lot. Oh, just because it's the Ambassador-class ship? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say because of it, but it, it's a cool-looking ship that we don't get to see very often. Uh, right. Every time they come out with models and stuff, they have the A, they have the D, they have the E. Sometimes they have the B, never the C. So they had the Excelsior, and then more recently they've come out with the Enterprise B. Right. But still so they, no Enterprise C, you're right. No Enterprise C. And you know why? Because it's too awesome. Because it's too boring. It looks almost like the original Enterprise. Right. It makes it cool. 
<laughs> it's like the original Enterprise it's and a, the Enterprise D had a baby. Enterprise C. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. Anyway, so, anyways. All right, so yeah, we'll do uh, DC Comics next week. Cool. Maybe for the next couple of weeks until we're ready to do something else. Okay. So maybe get back some gold key, some thespian stuff, if people could stand it. Yeah, we need to do that again. Okay. Cool. It's always good to have the extra folks involved. And uh... Yeah, that last one was just so much fun. So yeah, we should do it again. Okay. Hopefully we can get a, a good turnout like we did last time. Right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. On the review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.